Hello, I'm Michael Bott. And I'm Rupert Soskin. And this is the Standing with Stones Antiquarian Podcast. This podcast is only made possible by monthly donations from our listeners who've supported us through Patreon.com. You can become one of our patrons for as little as a dollar a month by visiting patreon.com slash standingwithstones. So, welcome to the Standing With Stones monthly podcast number 13. And um, this month, we're going north from podcast number 12. Yes, we are. This month's main topic takes a look at the wonderful monuments of Cumbria and the Lake District. And uh, what splendid sights they are, too. I guess we might have to talk about trade routes again as well. Yeah, well... I suppose so. Pretty inevitable, I think. I wonder what the Lake District looked like 5,000 years ago. Beautiful. Well, it looks beautiful now. Peaceful. It's peaceful now, yes. That's true. Oh, I I wonder, it might have been mayhem up there 5,000 years ago. (laughs) What do you reckon? What, you mean all that axe trading? Yeah, all that axe trading, mate. Yeah, half of industry. (laughs) Onward, let's find out later on. So, first things first. Um... Push back a boundary for us, would you, Rupert? Well, yeah, yeah I will. Do you know what? This is quite a big deal, really. Uh, I confess it's more pushing boundaries out rather than back, but you know our I'm sure we'll all know what you mean by the <laughs> time you get around to it. <laughs> Trust me, you will. Yeah. Um, you know our knowledge of the Denisovans, that enigmatic hominid line found in Siberia? Um, our knowledge is based on no more than a few teeth and a finger bone. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, and we wouldn't even know that without the modern DNA technology. It's no, exactly so. Exactly so. Um, well, groundbreaking news. They found a piece of skull. Gosh. Exciting. Um, how, but, <laughs> how does that actually change anything, though? <laughs> Do you know what? That's a very good question. You know, until, <laughs> until you found a sort of actual skeleton. It's like it doesn't mean much. But uh, go on. I'm sure you've got something to say. In as much as um, it is found in the same cave as the other fragments. Uh, oh, so right. It, so it, it's not a separate, you know... No, no, no. So it, it's it's still the only known Denisovan dwelling. Oh, um, you know, it's this this one cave in the entire world where um, where these uh, separate hominids have been found. Yeah. But it does mean that they've actually identified a fifth individual. Well, hold on a um, second. So we've got a few teeth and a finger bone, and now a piece of skull, and there are five of them. And yeah, five individuals, and they're, indeed, they're all from different uh, individuals. Isn't that extraordinary? Ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, it is quite weird, actually. Yeah. It makes you wonder if, um, uh, if, if they all pop their clogs, and I don't know, some wandering wolf just came in. <laughs> oh, no, 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 it's just what you can extrapolate from a few bits of bone. It's just, uh, it's astonishing. Ridiculous. Yeah. 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 Sorry, I interrupted. But that's all right. It's but yeah, you know, I mean, the most important thing, really is that it's it's DNA that's confirming these discoveries. Yeah, and yeah. with the location of the cave being in Siberia, it has called a number of other discoveries into question. And it's possible that a number of other bone fragments in China 
might also be Denisovan, but oh, right. they ha- they haven't run the DNA on them yet. So it's possible that uh, that we might suddenly find that um, that sites from uh, from well certainly from a wider area mm. might actually be Denisovan, where they've just always been assumed to be, uh, you know. I wonder, <laughs> Along with the normal suspects. I wonder what's given them the idea that they might be Denisovan um, before they've done the DNA analysis. Interesting. Um, yeah. yeah, it's a good question. Good question. I, I don't actually mm. know, but uh, maybe it's the type of dwelling it was. I don't know. don't know. But Time um, will tell. Time will indeed tell. I mean, the, the, you know, the only significance really is that each discovery could broaden the range of the... Denisovans mm, and give mm. us a better idea of how widely distributed they may have been. But, yeah. um, there you are. Mm-hmm. I see what you mean. A boundary yeah. expanded, I would say. Indeed. indeed. <laughs> yes. We, 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 we weren't pushing a temporal boundary that time. No. Which, which, which with, that's what we usually do, isn't it? We, 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 we do. We I nudge just, at the boundaries I, of time. I think it was the fact that it was a piece of skull. You know, if you've got yeah. if you've got something, if, if it's a head, then it means a little bit more than if it's just another finger bone. Well, it yeah. does to me, anyway. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I thought it was worth reporting. Thank you so much for doing your job <laughs> so well. Anyway. Are you going to ask me if I've got any news now? Do you think we should? Yeah. Do you know what we should? I got all. I started. I started envisaging um, little Denisovans in their little cave in Siberia, shivering. But um, but no, moving on. Yeah, um, I think we should. <laughs> so go on. What's first up this month, Michael? Well, um, this is the discovery of twenty skeletons in an area of the Sahara, which is now in modern-day Libya. Now, the significant thing here is that the skeletons were all found buried in the same rock shelter. And the earliest of them, get this, pay attention, the earliest of them dating back a surprising 8,000 years and the latest dating back to just 4,200 years ago. Oh, my goodness. So the implication is that that same burial site was in use for 4,000 years that we know of, yeah. Now, that really is astonishing. It it knocks your socks off, really, doesn't it? Now, here's another thing. They found 15 women and children buried inside the rock shelter and a further five adult males and juveniles buried outside under the shelter of a pile of rocks. What's that about? Oh, wow. Oh, well, well, well. So, okay, so are there any clearer signs of it having been a settlement or...? Well, um, despite this being a new discovery, they've they've actually been ex- excavating this site for years and have uncovered animal bones and pots with the remains of dairy produce and other stuff. There's okay. also good evidence that there was, as you've just heard, that there was a gender-based division. Female burials inside, male burials outside. Lots of intriguing stuff. It's quite extensive, right. so definitely worth following. Um, you know the links on that we'll put on the website if you want to read more about uh, developments in wow. the Sahara yeah. in the um, in the uh, in the Sahara. Yeah, that's amazing. Actually, I mean, because uh, we had stuff coming up in the Sahara last month, didn't we? But um, yeah, but. Nowhere near Libya, though, so that's amazing what's out there. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to uh, follow on from something we were talking about last month when... uh, You remember the Pushing Back the Boundaries piece 
last month was about the use of dogs in hunting. I sure do. Well, this research is going deeper into the relationship between humans and dogs. Uh, it comes from the University of Barcelona in Spain. Yes, I know and where Barcelona is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I've, I, I said that on the basis that we we have a number of uh, uh, of listeners on the other side of the Atlantic. Oh, let's I'm not sure go there's there. A, there's, there's, there's pro- no, no, I wasn't talking about their geographical knowledge. I was just thinking there's probably a Barcelona in America. Ah, uh, yes, yes. Of course, there's Venice, there's Florence, there's... Um, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But um, but yes, be that as it may, um, this relates to findings in the Iberian Peninsula. So you're talking about Spain, southern France, Portugal. And what they found is there was a ritual practice of dog burial. Mm-hmm. But there's an extraordinary complexity in the findings. And it's very difficult to understand what the relationship actually was. You've got dogs from as young as a month to full adults, fully grown adults, that have been found almost certainly as sacrificial. You. Yet others within the same communities buried alongside humans, where it's hard not to interpret them as family pets. That is complicated, uh, it's, yeah. It's, yeah, it's very difficult to, yeah. if you'll pardon the expression, pick the bones out of it. Oh, okay. now, Get on with it. <laughs> the chemical analysis <laughs> has shown, and this really uh, I find intriguing, chemical analysis has shown that they often shared the same food as the humans, including some animals which seem to have been almost exclusively vegetarian. Now, as far as I'm concerned, uh, dogs on a vegetarian diet is a bit strange. A bit, but, a bit um, crazy, yes. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think it what it does is it illustrates that our relationship with dogs has been rich and varied for a very long time. Yeah. Um, you, they seem to have filled so many different roles, just as they still do today, obviously. I mean, from sheepdogs and guard dogs to family pets. Um, and one of the other things that I couldn't help thinking about when I was reading these articles was that even today puppies are still sacrificed in ritual cultures like voodoo you puppies uh, and kittens you uh, know. and so you know maybe there's a correlation there obviously there's no way of uh, of proving that one way or the other but who, who uh, knows I mean you know just expands your thinking a bit and all sort of mm. contextualizes it a bit but it seems really extraordinary uh, to have raised raised vegetarian dogs, I can't think that they were very well vegetarian dogs because you know, <laughs> no, they're just not to designed to live on on veg. No. Any dates no. for this? Uh, well, the findings are mostly Bronze Age, but we don't know how far back the practice may stretch, and certainly it 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 extended into the Iron Age. They know that, um, but it, it does seem extraordinary. Doesn't it? Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I, I think the research does bear further scrutiny, and so as usual, links on the website. And <laughs> um, I confess that the the notion of vegetarian dogs and puppy sacrifices is all rather odd, yes. particularly. We have gone down the rabbit hole there a bit, haven't we? Absolutely, but you know, particularly you know, alongside <laughs> well, alongside their place with within human burials. Yeah, you know, yeah. we've clearly got a, a lot. 
to learn about this? Well, I'm going to change the subject completely. And this uh-huh. is, uh, yeah, it, it, it's not often that gold artefacts from the Bronze Age turn up, but the so-called Shropshire Buller is surprising for a number of reasons. Mm-hmm. I did change the subject there, didn't I? You certainly did. Yeah. <laughs> Buller comes from Latin, and Buller simply means bubble-shaped. Uh, mm. which this one isn't, but who are we to look you? The name actually stems from an Etruscan style of pendant, which are round or heart-shaped, and the upper edge right. is formed into a tube to allow a, a, a cord to pass through it. Presumably, this is so they can be worn round the neck. Okay. So most of the known examples come from Ireland, but back in 1772, an utterly stunning example was found in the Irwell River during works to widen the Manchester Ship Canal. Okay. So the Irwell Buller, as it was known, is is different in being D-shaped. Um, it's it's sort of D-shaped, you know, sort of a little bit crescent moon-shaped actually, mm-hmm. with the curve facing down, and and looked on side on it's actually slightly wedge shaped sort of narrow at the top and wide at the bottom bit like bit like like a, a slice of lemon you mean yeah yeah a bit like that like a like a lady's evening clasp bag or you know, right okay not that not that it you know ever contained anything but <laughs> this extraordinary golden object was intricately engraved with geometric patterns the back and front in the same kind of artistic style but but quite different in actual design Mm. So, then in 1808, the entire collection of which it was a part was sold at auction and the Irwell Buller disappeared, its whereabouts completely unknown to this Mm. day, apparently. Okay, why is this news? Well, fast forward to today, and a metal detectorist in Shropshire, one of the um, responsible variety who always reports his finds, uh, made a chance discovery of a golden buller. Now, right. now, Peter Reevil, the Shropshire Finds liaison officer's first thought was that they had found the long-lost Irwell Buller. But no, <laughs> comparing it with the um, very precise drawings of the uh, original, it was clear, clear that this one is quite different. Yet, it's got such a similar style and workmanship that this could even have been done by the same artist. Ooh. Artisan or whatever. Wow. Uh, it, it might be worth stating here that um, that perception, you know, that's our opinion. It's not something that uh, <laughs> has otherwise been reported, but the similarities are inescapable when you look at them. Yeah. Right. Wow. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, how often can you say you've seen the the work of more than one piece by this potentially the same person from that sort of period? Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, the the jury's out, and without uh, access to the original Irwell Buller, then. Um, uh, but it is astonishing how similar they are. That's that's um, that, yeah, that's yeah, what, yeah. What, it, what it comes down down to, and uh, you can see the hand of, you know, it it is conceivable that they came from the same hand. I tell you what, I wish I'd found it. Um, have you got a metal detector? No, I haven't. Well, there you go, then. <laughs> it's a fair point. Oh, oh, tell you what, before we end the news, I think uh, turning the lens inward and turning it back on ourselves a bit, we've got <laughs> a little bit to um, announce about uh, what's happening in September, haven't we? 
We do, we do, we do. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Um, we are doing a tour in September. We've been uh, we've been we're lucky enough to have teamed up with uh, Rick Pettigrew of the Archaeology Channel over in where is it? Oregon, there. Oregon, of course it is. Yeah, mm. to uh, lead, co-lead a um, once in a lifetime tour right from Orkney right down the backbone of Britain right down to uh, Stonehenge, taking in many sites along the way. It is going to be a belter of a trip, actually. Yeah, absolutely. So the, there's, what, there's uh, only room for 17, 18 participants, is it? Yeah, top whack, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, it's uh, it's going to be a nice, uh, you know, a small enough group where everybody can get yeah. to know everybody and, uh, and not so big that uh, it becomes impersonal. But, you know, I mean, it, oh, we're seeing some corker places. Apart from the wonders of Orkney, where... Um, uh, in fact, here we are moving on talking about uh, Cumbria in a minute in the Lake District. We'll be stopping oh, off yeah, at yeah. some of the peachy sites in Cumbria. Yeah, well, we um, will have um, um, before that toured at a few of the recumbents, uh, the recumbents in Aberdeenshire. We will, and uh, wonderful places like Arbelow. Indeed. And, uh, on ooh, down to the Cotswolds and yes. the Rollwrights and... Ellis Knapp uh, and, uh, and uh, the Devil's Quoits. Devil's Quoits and then yeah. Wayland Smithy and, um, oh, Avebury, uh, yay. Woodhenge, Stonehenge. Woodhenge, Stonehenge, and, all that. Uh, and in fact, we're at the, uh, the end of the trip. We are going to be on our own within the stones for sunrise at Stonehenge. Yeah. Looking that? forward to that, rather. Yeah. Gee, so that's it. We'll put the link, um, if you're interested in taking part in that tour, we'll put the link, obviously, uh, mm. in the uh, in the show notes. Um, yeah, that's it. We just wanted to um, let you know if that kind of thing might be uh, on your horizon, a once-in-a-lifetime <laughs> yeah. trip. Yeah, really looking forward to It's going to be that. good fun, yeah. So, like. Let's let us now move onward. Let us now go to that very place. Let us go. Do the Cumbrian dear thing. listeners to Cumbria <laughs> to the Lake District. Okay. So, <laughs> where to begin? Where to begin? Maybe we should just kick off with uh, with our personal favourites of Cumbria. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, actually, because when we, um, 10, 11, 12 years ago, when we made the, the film, when we made Standing with Stones, um, we, you know, it, compared to what's actually there, it was a bit of a flyby. Obviously, yeah. we did the main ones. We did Castle Rig, we did Swinside, we did Long Meg, Druid Circle, and the uh, Langdale Axe Factory, but there's many, many more besides. It may the one thing. Do people know where it is? This is an important thing. Just being give it a little bit of context in terms of what do you mean? Uh, where the Lake District is? Where the Lake District is? Cumbria, also known as the the Lake District. Yes. Um, yes. Well, it's kind of um, north of Liverpool and south of Scotland. <laughs> there, that's nailed it. <laughs> yeah, over on the north uh, northwest bit of uh, England. Yes. Um, uh, yeah, and and called also called the Lake Districts because uh, well, it's it's the UK equivalent of the Great Lakes, isn't it? Yeah, because uh, lakes it does have 
most certainly. Mm. But it is a genuine mountain area. Mm. So you're already high up, and, and, and that's the extraordinary juxtaposition. The beauty of it is the juxtaposition of these beautiful lakes with with this backdrop mm. of uh, of huge mountains. Anyway, we could wax lyrical uh, about the, the qualities of uh, the Lake District. What about the stones? Yes. The stones. The stones. Well, I, I, from a personal standpoint, I, I have to say that Castle Rig is my favourite in the area. Um, there's just something about it that it's setting you know where you're you're so high up and you're just looking out with the mountains around you and yeah. I, I think i i said at the time didn't i it just it struck me that it's almost you know, and there's me irreligious sod that i am it just struck me as a real cathedral of a place you could yeah. completely understand why they had put it there even though the bulk of the evidence suggests that it was a centre for axe trading. So. Uh, yeah, um, Castle Rig is a particular case. But uh, I was astonished, you know, like I was saying, we we breezed through, we visited a, a few. And when uh, it came to looking at what we were going to say in this podcast, uh, the, those mm. were the few that really came to mind. But there are many, 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 many more beside. Mm. I'm looking at the uh, Visit Cumbria website and it's telling me that there are 50 or, you know, give or take, uh, stone mm. circles in Cumbria. Yeah. 50. Yeah, amazing. Um, now, it has to be said, I think a lot of them have been destroyed um, over time by you know, changes in farming, etc., uh, uh, this, that, and the other. But um, mirroring the the big ones that we know, Castle Rig, Swinside, otherwise known as Sunken Kirk, Long, mm-hmm. Long Meg, those are the three biggies. Those are the three must-sees in terms of stone circles. Yeah. But there are echoes of those sizes of uh, stone circles and indeed larger ones that have been com- almost completely destroyed and yeah. so you know are not on the the tourist map you know not not uh, necessarily um places you you're you're aware of yeah um so there were many many more besides the main 3 that um, that we are familiar to us Absolutely. Uh, I think also worth um, mentioning that we were talking last month uh, on you know about places on Dartmoor and talking about Yellowmead, where it's the concentric rings that make the the circle. Yeah. And uh, and it's something that although in uh, in Cumbria they're not quadruple circles like they are uh, like Yellowmead, but um, but there are double ringed circles in Cumbria. Uh, that uh, you know, well worth a visit. I mean, I, I think the the, mm. the the one that we put in the film originally was the Druid Circle of Alveston, which is yes. you go around Morecambe Bay, overlooking Morecambe Bay. Yes, yeah, stunning place. Yeah, not stunning only does place. that have a double circle, but it's got the the interior area. It said um, it, it was was paved to a certain degree. Yeah, which yeah, is yeah. Quite it unusual. was a it was a platform of, and I, I can't. Off the top of my head, remember the actual details, but the the um, when they'd prepared the ground and levelled the ground, yeah, and uh, and covered it with a type of stone. The type of stone that they used for the ground surface was not the same as the stones 
the, as you know, the standing stones, if you like. So it was a very deliberate offset, if you like, very you know, considered piece of design work. Yeah, which is intriguing. Um, well, um, there, there is a, um, a double stone circle, which you can easily see if you're travelling on the M6. <laughs> yes, yes. You just might not be able to stop. That's, um... <laughs> no, you certainly won't. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, that's the one on the M6. That's the that's uh, Gunnerkeld, isn't it? That's correct. Yeah, and it is literally by the side of the motorway. Is it um, on the east or west side? Of the M6. I think it's on the east side. Yes, so, it is. Yeah. It's on the east side. So you need to be travelling north to get a view. Us driving on the left-hand side of the road, you understand. <laughs> Indeed. Oh, sorry, you said it was on the east side? Yes. Oh, you need to be travelling south. I'm sorry, you do I'm need to, to be travelling south. Yeah, yeah I just I didn't want to <laughs> argue with you on that point. but It's <laughs> <laughs> mm. just, yeah... My poor old brain can't go. Yeah, no, <laughs> no. Literally, if you if you're travelling south on 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 the M6 uh, round round about there, if you pay attention to, uh, you can see it quite plain. It's right by the motorway. Yeah. Um, double stone circle and bang, whoosh! It'll be gone. <laughs> yeah, it's it's intriguing actually that if you if you look at aerial photographs of it because i've never visited it i'm I'm only aware of it from uh uh, you know from looking things up and seeing things on maps um but looking at aerial photographs of it the uh the inner circle i mean i'm presuming this is a cairn circle um so it was covered in a mound yeah but uh but there's some interesting rocks going on in the middle i don't know if it's uh if there's a kist in there or something, but certainly it, was. it would be well worth a visit. That, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, um, and it's uh, it's close to nearest town is Shap. If you want to look that up on a map. Okay, okay. Um, mm. So, what's the best way of, of tackling this? Do we do we want to go down the route of, of uh, what do we know or what is thought about um, the the stones in general, or do we want to look at um, you know, partic- I think particularly uh, Long Meg and her daughters um, deserves particular uh, attention in some respects. Um, but in in general, what a- can we take away, archaeologically speaking and interpretively speaking, from looking particularly at the Cumbrian Great Circles? Yes. Well, I mean the biggie that um, that has to be. At the heart of it all, really, as far as I'm concerned, anyway, is uh, is the axe trade. Yeah. Uh, not least of all, because of the Langdale Axe Factory up the top of Pike Stickle. Yeah. Um, and how far and wide have those yeah. pieces of stone been found? That's right. Yeah. I mean, um, Pike Stickle was not the only axe factory. It was one of the Langdale mm. uh, axe factories, of which there the were a number. Pike Stickle was certainly one of the But what is it about the stone that comes from up there, high in the mountains? You know, Mm. this is not digging out of the ground. You've got to climb up a mountain to to get at this Mm. particular brand of stone that was particularly valued for the making of a certain type of type of axe. What are the qualities, Rupert? It's so dense, and Ah. it 
doesn't shear. Uh, it's uh, you, they can uh, they can <laughs> one can <laughs> still do it. You you can sharpen that stone to an edge, yeah. and uh, and it's just so strong. You could cut trees down with it, and they're not going to you know the, the axe is not going to break. Um, and uh, it, from a geological point of view, it's it, when you get particularly with basaltic uh, types of rock where you get uh, it's an irregular crystalline structure uh, on a microscopic level, which means that impact doesn't have a single line to follow. So oh, right. the energy okay. is uh, the energy is just diffused oh. through the stone. Oh, right. Um, and uh, I mean, you you can hear the quality, can't you? One of the things that I will never forget when we first went up Pike Stickle yes. and just randomly picked up two pieces of stone and you clunk them together and they just sing. They ring, don't they? Yeah. Um, it's uh, yeah, it the, is. It's, the other quality, important quality about that stone is, I think, that it does polish up nicely. It does. So not only are they. Um, um, practical pieces of stone, but they mm. can become objects of beauty in and of themselves. Mm. And it seems that um, that was uh, that they were valued. They were valued well, almost as works of art in themselves. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So unused axes were were traded. So, I mean, we could go down that whole route. There's a whole Pandora's box to open as far as Neolithic mm. trade is concerned in axes, and we've covered that in a previous podcast uh, mostly mm. but in terms of cumbria itself the important thing to note is that the great early stone circles are located on or near the roots that mm. the rough outs and the stone or finished axes whatever it might have been would have been taken out of that area either down mm. to the coast or uh, going north and uh, east over to the east coast to be tra traded down the east coast as well. Mm. Um, so I mention all those things blithely, but as you can imagine, there's quite a lot of detail to uh, <laughs> to, the, to the background. But bottom yeah. line is that the great circles of Cumbria uh, have been firmly linked to the Neolithic trade in axes. Yes, it's also interesting. <laughs> If this not, it's not too much of an aside. One of the things that uh, that tickled me when we were uh, researching Castlerick was that within the circle there is a rectangular area uh, to one side, and uh, I've always called it the barbecue area because I could see this <laughs> as being, uh, you know, this was the place where. Uh, where fairs and fates and trading was going on, and this was the place. You know, what's the one thing? Doesn't matter what sort of trade fair you ever go to, the the people who are always busiest are the ones who are selling food. <laughs> <laughs> so, so this rectangular section I thought was the barbecue area, and it turns out that um, Castle Rig is by no means alone of the Cumbrian circles to have this rectangular area yes. within the circle and to have uh, and evidence shows that there was ash in there so you know whatever they were burning um uh, you know it it was clearly something that was done in these circles generally it's not a one off 
Yes, uh, I mean, uh, that is more than an interesting aside because that um, particular oddity about Castlerigg, the rectangular area inside, um, is repeated in um, a, a stone circle which is virtually identical to Castlerigg, mm. uh, which is barely 17 miles away. Um, unfortunately, it's more or less uh, broken down. It's, it's destroyed. It's called Bratz Hill. Yeah, um, and not only is it has the same number of uh, stones in the circle, uh, numbering forty-two, uh, it's got uh, pretty well exactly the same diameter as well. Mm. So there's a kind of there's a lost mirror image of of Castle Rig elsewhere yeah. in in Cumbria, including the you know the very unusual uh, rectangular structure inside. Mm. So that uh, little, little aside there, little little scrap of scrap of knowledge to uh, ponder. Yes. Yeah, you, you see, as far as, as far as I'm saying, you, you really do have to ask the question, though, because if you find that two circles are identical to all intents and purposes, the same number of stones, and they both have a, um, a rectangular area, that, well, that's clearly, that's a, that's a recognised design then. Yeah. It must yeah. have been functional. And so mm-hmm. there's all those unanswerable questions, you know, yeah. but but clearly it's not it's yeah. not as straightforward <laughs> as just making a ring of stone. <laughs> well that worked. Let's make another one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What was that about? Dates. What about dates? What dates oh, are we talking about? Oh, you see, we're no. just getting contentious again though, aren't we? Because uh, well, you and I both disagree with well, let's start being uncontentious, shall we? And that is that the um, uh, the Cumbrian stone circles are reckoned to be probably the earliest in the British Isles. Mm. Um, they, we think, with the exception of Orkney. Well, not even that. Really? Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's debatable. We bring into question the whole thing of how you date a stone circle. But mm. I think the thing that nails it for Cumbria is the fact that if you're if if the the strength of the link between the circles and the axe trade is strong, then what you do have in the areas where stone napping was taking place, we have charcoal assays. C14 assays, which place mm-hmm. it in the late 4th millennium BC. Yeah? So yes. it's pretty darned early mm-hmm. and highly competitive with uh, Stennis for being the oldest. Yeah. So, you know, that, that's, that's a good sort of starting, starting point. Uh, and I think it's, it's fair. I, I, I buy that date. <laughs> You know, who am mm. I to say whether a <laughs> to pass an opinion on uh, well-researched um, uh, opinions, but uh, pass my own opinion on other people's well-researched, you know, proper academic people what know this <clears throat> stuff. But it yes, hangs well, together. That ha- it hangs together for me. Nothing, no problem there with me. Yeah. Okay. Um, and you. <laughs> I no, I don't really have a problem. It's just there's still an awful lot of talk of Bronze Age um, uh, stuff, and um, well, yeah. Uh, here, here's the thing. I mean, we could get 
really get sidelined into our own thoughts about the, the relationship of, uh, of Bronze Age artefacts to mm. um, uh, stone circles in general, not just in the, uh, uh, in the Lake District. Um, but it's, I think it's worthwhile saying that it, it sort of sharpened my mind as to these uh, factors because, um, you know, it brings into question, you know, how do you date a stone circle? Um, mm. And um, you can only date a thing if it's got organic remains, pottery or whatever, or cremations or charcoal, mm. that, kind of, mm. that kind of thing. Um I, it, it feels to me, uh, you know, without sort of going into a great explanation, it, it feels to me <laughs> that the that the <clears throat> that the Bronze Age stuff was a reuse of stuff that was already there. That's what I think. Um, that um, that the, the artifacts, Bronze Age later after artifacts, which have been used to date the circles to a later date, are in mm. fact um, oddities uh, of of people not coming in later, uh, seeing a site, not really understanding what it was originally for, but thinking, well, that's pretty kick-ass. I wonder what, what was that for? Uh, it's obviously a special site. Well, well, let, what can we do that's special there? And, you know, using it for burials and other things. Yeah, yeah I, that's my thinking. That's the lens I look through things at the moment. And yeah. that has largely come up through you know looking at these uh, great circles at uh, at uh, in the lake district yes because i think it is i mean the major study you know we all know the major writings on these things popular writings i should say are by mm. aubrey burl and um mm. he <clears throat> although he's a popular writer as, as well as an academic his method of discerning which were the older and which were the later sites is, again, based on a kind of typology. Um, you know, he's tending to use traits such as how big the stone circle is, yeah. uh, how many stones are in the stone, stone circle, how, how many stones, uh, the size of the stones in the circle. Um, using those as proxies for dating yeah as if uh, you know a smaller site had to be younger than an, a larger one as mm. if a site using smaller stones is later than a, a site using larger stones and i don't yeah. really think I, I, that well, holds up too well no i don't i see i i feel churlish uh disagreeing really i feel churlish arguing with mm. burl who is a giant yeah. uh, in, in our archaeological learning, if you like. Um, but I do still think that so much of the um, the way decisions have been made is based on pure subjectivity. Yeah. And uh, you know, any of us, it's like it's almost like statistics. You know, you you can pick, you know, you can cherry pick something that fits with your way of thinking. And say, there you go. That that all that all works nicely, um, yeah. just because you've you've cherry picked the sites as well. Uh, with the amount of sites that we know of, that we know they were there, but they're no longer visible, and they have not been visible for some time. Well, you know, we we can't say typo, you know, typologically, we can't say what those sites truly looked like, and they might have completely put a spanner in that subjective thinking mm -hmm. yeah um, 
And, you know, the, this whole typology thing, it is quite extraordinary. Of course, it's Burl again who matched uh, the Rollwright stones to um, the, the Cum- Cumbrian stones. In, indeed he did. And yeah. I think I, I think I'd be right in saying that that he's the only person who ever did mm. and then subsequently people have just been repeating Burl's idea. Yeah, um, the main thing being the date. Yes. Because that's the only way that you date the Rollwright stones is by matching it to the Cumbrian stones, which yeah. date, whose date is brought from the charcoal in areas where they know that they've been chipping. <laughs> yes. And, you know, and the crazy thing there is, you know, as we've uh, as we've said before, is that what we do know about the roll rights, if we're not, you know, not not going way too far, but what we do know about them is that they have been part of a settlement that has been there yeah. uh, for thousands of years. You know, Anglo-Saxon remains were were found yeah. there. So if you know that a site has been there for thousands of years, then to yeah. make yeah. an assumption on the dating. of circle based mm. on charcoal that you found is completely well as far as i'm concerned it's a bit silly it's yeah. a massive assumption it, it is but talking about settlements there's an interesting thing about um uh, the uh, settlements in the lake district um the lake district is a mountainous region it's mm. inimical to settlement mm-hmm. you don't go up there and and live up there <laughs> You just don't go there, really, unless there's a value. And the value seems to have been in the mining of the axes, uh, of, of the stone, yeah. stone for the I, axes. I think it, it's, it's worth also making uh, an analogy uh, there, that when you look at the size of the sites in the Wilch complex, yeah. um, and uh, you know, there's not really any dispute about the fact that they're that big because... It's all based on flint, so you basically, you know, you're living on money, really. Uh, you know, just uh, scraping the ground, and you've got something you can sell. Um, and if you're looking at the scale of circles, and you look at the Cumbrian circles, which, if you apply that to axe trade again, that could explain the size of them because they are, you know, they are a collectively big circles in relation yeah. to what you find elsewhere. Main di- the mean mean diameter of the circles in Cumbria is forty eight meters, and mm. that's two and a half times the average diameter of other UK circles. Big. Yeah, I don't know what you make of that, but you know <laughs> that's the, that's the fact. Well, I, 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 what I make of it, as if you know, said he, as if he yeah. knew anything, but. Um, it's well. Why are you going to make anything that big? Because you want it to hold a lot of people. Yeah. Why so mm-hmm. many people up there? You know, you wouldn't have thought if you're going to choose a place. Uh, just looking at it, all other things being equal, where you'd get the most people in a stone circle, it wouldn't be up there in the mountains or you know, no. up there. In the, <laughs> uh, you know, what is a difficult place to live otherwise? So mm. very interesting. So while we're talking about size of circles. Largest of them by far is, well, still existing by far, is Long Meg. Uh, um, fourth largest after, uh, fourth largest of, after Broadcast, well, Stanton, Drew, Avery. Yeah, yeah, you've got Avery, Stanton, Drew, Brodger, and then Long Meg. Yeah, Long, Long Meg. Right. 
I believe that there is was an even larger circle, though, which has been completely destroyed, of which there is only one stone left. I uh, can't remember the name of it. Yeah. It had 88 stones in its circle. That's 88. astonishing, isn't it? Yeah. Actually, I might be going off on one. Um, <laughs> Surprise <how> me. <laughs> <laughs> I was just trying to remember how many stones there were in the 12 apostles. It's <laughs> um, just wonderful we get these oxymoronic questions. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Okay, well, is it current? It is now called the Twelve Apostles. There used yes. to be a lot of stones in it. Yeah. Um, and there are in, now about nine, aren't there? It's, something like that. it's in it's Dumfriesshire, isn't yeah, it? Because right. um, uh, that's big. Yeah. Yes, anyway, it was. I'm sorry, yes. that, that was an utter digression. It's just I suddenly had an image yeah. of the place. I don't yes. know why. Um, um, mm. But not that far away. Yeah, Long Meg. Uh, Long Meg is a particular case. I mean, it is awesome. Um, yes. It's um, one of those places where you stand next to those stones and you start thinking, why? What? Mm. How do you begin to shift this about? You know, mm. I mean, I know you do that at Avebury because they're much, much bigger, even so. Um, but some of them are similar. At, at Long Meg, I'll tell you what got me about Long Meg actually, and yeah. that's the engravings, of course, the rock art, and the thing is f- that it's it's so unusual to have rock art on a monolith uh, or a megalith. Really, it's not a monolith, is it? Um, yeah. But it made me wonder if that's reuse made me wonder if actually that that engraved stone at long meg was originally in another site altogether yeah um and was just nicked and put there yeah i mean it it wouldn't uh, seem uh, anomalous for that um piece of stone to be lying flat on flat on the ground in which case it would uh, mm. kind of make sense alongside other rock art wouldn't it mm, absolutely if you yeah. look at places you know like uh well, the likes of Achnebrek and, yeah. and what have you, where you've got all these... Uh... Not half too far removed. The other thing is, though, do you remember, you know, actually standing there, being with... <laughs> st- <laughs> actually standing with stones, actually being there, standing with it, uh, <laughs> it just struck me as looking like a map, the way that uh, the carvings yeah. are on, uh, on Long Mega herself. Yeah, well, it, it it is a school of thought, isn't it? I I, I must admit, I, I'm quite sympathetic to that. And I think, mm. um, if not uh, uh, an actual, you know, yeah. topographical topographical map, then certainly uh, you yeah. know something that's diagrammatic of. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe but we have to have to yeah. also tip the hat to um, the fact that um, uh, spirals. It mm. exists in the way that shadows move uh, during the seasons. If you map, mm-hmm. if you if you map the shadow of a, of a of a tall object on the on the ground, it it creates a spiral that reverses. You know, mm-hmm. when you get past the equinoxes or something like that. Um, Interesting thought. Y- yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe maybe what I'm saying is there is also an astronomical possibility. Mm. Um, um, yes, there was a there was a wizard. A wizard, medieval? No, um, I can't remember what. I think we're talking about thirteenth century or something like this. There was a, 
a 13th century grand wizard called Michael Scott. Well, who, yeah, well, who turned who, something to do with a witch anyway, you know, as as tall singular standing stones often are. Yes. Apparently Michael Scott turned her into a witch, somebody into a witch, and there she stands now. I'd forgotten that. Michael, you know, Michael Scott, there's a name you could just pick out of the uh, current um, telephone yeah. directory, and uh, apparently it's the name of a you know, 13th century wizard thing. Who'd have thought? Who'd have thought? Michael Scott. Michael Bott. Do you think? Michael, well, yes, close enough. Close enough. Yes. You- <laughs> We've got whimsical. No need to do a whimsical whimsy <laughs> later on. Just look inside our own brains. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so anyway, Long Meg, Little Meg, there's a tiny... Actually, isn't that true that Little Meg is the tiniest stone circle? It's tiny. It's it's only... It, it's like, what, I don't know, it's not. It's five metres across, something like yeah. that. Yeah, something like it's tiny. that. Anything else to say? Well, I think we've got alignments. Um, there is a... Uh, I don't think that we can be firm about alignments except to say that the entrances of a lot of the <coughs> the Cumbrian circles honour the sun and axes are often associated with the sun, are they not? In parts different parts of the world? I don't know it's just a thought that's crossed Ooh. my mind I have nothing to you know, point in the direction of for reference with that but you know that's uh, that's an interesting thing to toss into the mix here. Yeah, yeah. Well, you, well, you, I've done, you just made that up. I mean, that is, you know, <laughs> it is in certain parts of the world there is a, there is a, a marked connection between the sun yeah. and, uh, and axes. Um, the area is not devoid of henges. Especially, actually, not far from Long Meg and her daughters. Um, I was thinking in terms of, uh, well, if you've got a lot of axe trading going on and a lot of people visiting the area, then you're going to need a lot of livestock for food. So there would have to be henges. (laughs) Why did you have to say that? Why did you have to go there? (laughs) So... That is um, pretty well. We've 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 sort of encompassed, I think, most of the things. With uh, that's a very broad outline sketch of of uh, the circles of of Cumbria. It is. What I other think... aspects? Are there any other aspects that uh, we're missing that that would uh, fill out the picture a bit more, Rupert? Do you think? It's hard to say. I I, I do think that the the significant thing to take from Cumbria really is that there are, there are still fifty stone circles that you can visit. Um, well, I'm not so sure about being able to visit them. I don't. Th- I think of the fifty, there's only a few that are really you know <clears throat> um, uh, extant, as it were. Um, um, well, if you mean in terms of is there anything to see? Certainly, there's yeah. a, a few of them. I think are on private land that you'd have to get permission. That's true. But, yeah. Um, yeah. But there's, there, you know, there's very few farmers these days who wouldn't let you walk across their land. Yeah. Um, but um, no, I, I think if you're going to make a contrast, you know, because our, our 
our whole idea about this was uh, was to move around the country and you know in each podcast and yeah. uh, sort of point you in things that we think are um, significant and uh, it, partly I suppose because of the landscape you know that it is mm. a mountainous region that is yeah. uh, that is filled with lakes so it's not so straightforward to be able to just romp your way across the moor the way you can on Dartmoor, tripping mm. over sites all the way. If you look at uh, the Ordnance Survey maps, uh, which uh, you know, I still go paper out of choice because everything's marked on there. And you yeah. sometimes you, I mean, if you look, um, you know, satellite views, you know, Google Earth to look down on places, so often there's a significant stone circle and it's utterly invisible on satellite views. So, um, you know, paper is still well worth checking out. And yeah. the amount of cairns that are dotted throughout the mountainous parts of the Lake District, yeah. you know, hundreds of them. And the thing is that because you can walk, you know, if you're 50 metres to one side of a cairn, you're not even going to know it was there. Um, and it's only really by, I think, scouring over Ordnance Survey maps that you really appreciate quite how much is there. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if you're going up there for a walking holiday, oh. then check out the maps because you, you, you'll look at the at the big stone circles, which are utterly wonderful to go and visit. But equally, you will be missing out on the smaller, but uh, no less significant. Um, little monuments that are dotted all over the place. Yeah. If, I, if there is any doubt in anybody's mind about um, the relationship between um, great stone circles and uh, axe trade, I'm going to just put in that um, a few days ago uh, I was in um, Shropshire over near the Welsh border mm. uh, visiting a site known as Mitchell's Fold. Uh, and I was reminded so strongly of Castlerigg. Now, the mm. stone circle itself is nothing to write home about. It's only about ten, <laughs> 10 or 11 stones, and they're pretty small, apart from one that's about five foot six inches tall. Um, mm. But the view, and you know, that, that kind of raised plateau feeling that you get in yeah. Castle Rig, and then the, 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 the view beyond, the view mm. from Mitchell's Fold into Wales just goes on and on and on and on, you know, right to the Misty Mountains. <laughs> mm. <laughs> you yeah. get that impression. But the significant thing about Mitchell's Fold is probably not the circle itself, but that it was associated with another axe factory yeah. location. Corndon Hill is a source of Pickwright stone. Mm -hmm. What I found out is that the stone from Langdale was not drillable. You, it was not good for making a hole in, so making a shafted axe. Mm -hmm. However, the Pickwright from um, Corndon Hill and other places around, the Pickwright was is or was drillable. <laughs> so when the need came for um, uh, maces and battle axes, which needed a shaft, a drilled hole through which you inserted a shaft, mm. um, the, the Langdale Tough 
you, you, you attach the shaft to the side, to one side. So some of them, you know, have this curved appearance to give the yes. so, so they remain remain balanced in in the hand. Um, but Pickwright is drillable, so that's that's why it was important as well. But I could I couldn't. Um, the similarities were too strong when I was there and yeah. when I climbed that hill um, to let that pass by. Just, Interesting. You know, that's just an aside. So you know, what I'm trying to nail is stone rings and trade in whatever is local is an mm. important mix, it seems to me. It's something that's really you've got to factor in when you're thinking about what the purpose was. Yes. Hey-ho. There we go. Hey-ho indeed. Yeah. <clears throat> do, you know, do you know what's extraordinary, Rupert? I think well, we've managed to cover as much as we can in these <laughs> few minutes uh, the Cumbrian stone circles without doing a deep dive down the uh, Neolithic trade in axe trade. Here we have. We have. So I think we should actually stop there before, you know, we're, we're near the edge. We're near the edge. We didn't yeah, go we over the edge. Yeah, we're doing I think film we, and I think, I think we did quite well there. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it could have happened. It could have gone horribly, horribly wrong. <laughs> but I think I, I think um, I think we've illuminated parts of uh, the Lake District rings um, that people may not have been readily aware of. So yeah, good job, good job. So our advice is go to Cumbria. Yes, definitely go to the lakes. Yeah. Climb up the pike of stickle if you really if, definitely uh, climb up the pike of stickle and and I suppose probably one of the best pieces of advice we could give is avoid the summer, oh. um, because it is utterly heaving with people who <laughs> like to go walking in the Lake District. Can't yeah. blame them, yeah. but um, you know if you want um, certainly if you want places like Castle Rig to yourself, you'll never get it to yourself. Dream on. Um, but uh, but if you want places like Castle Rig and Swinside almost to yourself, then yeah, go well out of season. Yeah, well, I think uh, Swinside is reasonably out of the way. It's actually quite difficult. You know, there's only a little narrow lane that gets anywhere close, so that it's is never true. it's never going to be accessible to coach loads of tourists. Uh, mm-hmm. Swinside. Um, so yeah, that's a, that's a very special place for that reason, actually. Yes. Um, yeah. Cool. So, job done. Well done, that man. (laughs) Moving on. So, it's goodbye, Cumbria. Hello, question time. (laughs) Hello, question time. (laughs) Have you got a question this month, Rupert? (laughs) Mm, Yes, I do. Got a question from Alice Clark in Sevenoaks. And she said, I'm... (laughs) I'm a bit puzzled by hut circles. The inference is that these are the footings of ordinary dwellings. Only here, but yeah. like only here on the Standing with Stones podcast will you hear the words, I'm a bit puzzled by hut circles. You've got to love it, haven't you? You're in the right place, viewers, yeah. listeners. The inference is that these are the footings of ordinary dwellings, but surely ordinary dwellings would have been timber constructions, and if they really are footings of houses, why aren't there thousands of them all over the place? Um, oh, 
How long have we got? <laughs> it's a great question, isn't well, it? Well, it is. Um, <laughs> it, but it opens up so many avenues, as so many of these questions uh, do. Yeah. I mean, I think there are thousands of them all over the place. That's the fact of the matter. It's just that they're insignificant in, alongside your stone rows and your, and your stone circles, etc., etc. True, but it's fair Go on, sorry. No, it, it, but it's fair to say, though, you know, directly, you know, in relation to what, what Alex is, is is getting at, really, is yeah. that if you go to, um, and, I mean, look at Wiltshire, you know, yeah. that, that you've got, you know, an odd hut circle here or there, and yet you know that there were God knows how many thousand people living there, so it can't have been an ordinary house. Yeah. Uh, oh, God, it opens up so many avenues because, it of course, really the, alongside, you know, the small huts and things, we know that there were huge Neolithic houses, timber, timber uh, yeah. longhouses and, and things like that. Also, I'm thinking of that wonderful uh, village down on the slopes of um, Rautor um, yeah. that we visited in the Standing with Stones, you know, which That's is a true. small settlement, but it has origins in, in the Neolithic uh, mm. Good place to go if you want to look at footings of uh, houses and and dwellings. That is true. I mean, it ma- it made me wonder if because um, you know, obviously we don't know, and anything that we can talk about is um, is guesswork, even from the most academic of points of view. Um, but it makes you wonder if uh, you know if you've got a small uh, construction that has got these stone footings. Well, you know, why would you necessarily need those when, if you're just making a, a dwelling out of timber, mm. then you can drive those timber stakes into the ground as supports. You don't need the stone footings. So why would you need stone footings? And, um, you know, there, there's all sorts of possible answers to that. It could be because they were actually built at a fundamentally different period when the... Uh, building style had developed or changed you know mm-hmm. it only only needs to be a separation of say you know 100 years you know i mean we don't build houses the same to, well okay 100 years we probably do but um but you know if you said a couple of 100 years yeah. then building styles do change yet archaeologically speaking <clears throat> you wouldn't really perceive that as a massive shift in time So that's one possibility. And the other is, um, or the other one that pops into my head anyway, is, well, maybe you put the odd animal indoors at night. And if it was just timber, then they might be able, you know, big stones would put an awful lot more strength to a wall. Yeah, I, there are all sorts of pragmatic issues like like like, like what what sort of ground are you, are you erecting mm. your hut on? Are the stones available at all? Mm. Would it be easier just to drive the uh, footings of the timber into the ground, or to have tim- small timber uprights that won't necessarily survive uh, mm. doing the same uh, same job? Uh, is it nece- necessary because it's windy round there? And you know, if <laughs> wherever you are, and maybe sometimes it's not necessary to have stone footings. Um, I don't know if we're answering the question. I, 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 I mean, think the, the, the question is why aren't there thousands of them all over the place? Well, mm. a lot of them will will have been lost 
you know, and they're so when you when you think about how many stone circles themselves, you know, actual monuments have been、mm. lost to farming and being built over、uh, mm. uh, uh, over the years.、Um, I think that's got to account for the vast majority because they seem so insignificant. A, a, a hut circle is seems so insignificant that it's the first thing that's going to go when you're clearing the land and. Uh, or, or reusing a few stones here and there. Yeah, that's true. In fact,、uh, that's that's a nice point. If you think about、um, around Menantol and Tregasil in Cornwall, yeah, and、uh, and so you <laughs> you have these significant sites where you know that because Tregasil is you know it's a fair sized circle. You know that that's a fair sized community that was. That was living there, and the, and the, there's nothing across the landscape until you look at the farm walls, <laughs> and then you see that all the farm walls are made of megaliths. <laughs> are they? <laughs> yeah.、Um, so yeah, so there's a lot of robbing has gone on. An aside that happened to me as as I was walking up、um, as I was walking up、oh. Corndon Hill, I went down from Mitchell's Fold. Um, down、uh, the, the the track back to the road, and on the bend of the road, I'm led to believe, in, just inside the hedge, there was an equivalent,、uh, you know, similarly sized stone circle in this field, now completely gone, robbed、mm-hmm. out. So I mentioned this in the film that I'm, I'm making. Walked on、uh, on my trek towards、uh, Corndon Hill, went over the stile up into the field, was distracted by a sheep and. Uh, her, 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 and and her little lamb, and then <laughs> looked at the、uh, the the wall into this field, and it was completely lined with, you know, <laughs> if I put all those stones in a circle, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. my lord.、Um, You know, not, I don't want to be as you know thought of as、uh, having a suspicious mind, but my <laughs> goodness, yeah,、uh, they you know they'd be perfect for a very nice stone circle indeed. And it went tiny, you know, <laughs> out, out of nowhere. I've、yeah. not seen anywhere like it before. But the, all these megaliths providing the edge to this field. You'll see in the film, anyway.、Um, It's funny, isn't it? Yeah. Maybe Alice, that is the best answer that we can give you. Yeah, it, it does. Also, you saying that it reminds me of when we were going up to Multiuchaf with that stunning view. Yeah,、uh, through the mountains, and that's a long walk up that hill. Yes. And all the way up, those、uh, the the walls on either side, the farm walls on either side,、uh, <laughs> were. That's <laughs> just, you know, that those stones were however many thousand years old and、uh, had once lived in something a lot more splendid than a wall. I, I'm I'm sure this is not the case. So this is pre whimsy whimsy, but、uh, Multiuchaf、uh, uh, looks like a large、um, hut circle. It does,、uh, in and of itself. Yes, and if you say that, if you if you extend that, then Rollright stones look like a huge, yeah, <laughs> hut circle. Yeah, and if you're really going to go completely bananas, there is a guy I've forgotten his name now who's made a, um, uh, um, uh, whose interpretation of Stonehenge it is that Stonehenge is actually the internal structure of a massive wooden. 
um, enclosure. Yeah, you're talking about um, Bruce Bedlam. Bruce Bedlam, yes, that's right. In which case, the uh, uh, the Aubrey uh, holes become the footings for uh, uh, the, the, the these vast timbers reaching up to the point in the middle. Yeah, I think he's yeah. got a pri- slight problem with dating there, equivalent dating, but uh, uh, contemporary dating. But um, yeah, just if we want to go there. <laughs> well, do you know what? I, yeah. I, I think um, with the uh, with the links on the webpage, uh, I'm going to put uh, Bruce Bedlam's uh, <laughs> website on yeah. there because whether you agree with it or not. His thinking is sound, and he has done years and years and years. He's spent, uh, re- you know, developing this theory, and it's a fantastically impressive thing that he's come up with. And you know, it, you know, maybe, maybe not, but it's still worth a look. You know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, some fascinating, you know, three D reconstructions of his yeah, idea. Yeah. Anyway, so good. Um, well, I hope we've. Um, <laughs> Uh, answered the question and gone off in some weird directions at the same time there. So, yes, that's um, we've provided value. Thank you for the question, Alex. Thank you. Thank (laughs) you. Thank you so much. Um, So, right. Well, we've finished with um, uh, question time. That means it's time for... Oh, Stonehead of the Month. Stonehead of the Month. You don't get so excited. Oh, it is exciting. Who's up this month, Michael? Uh, well, it's been another tricky one this month, Rupert, but the April Stoney is Standing With Stones community member, Shay, Shay Rudge. Shay Rudge. Hey. For, and mostly for his recent shots of Dartmoor that he's posted there, notably uh, Grimm's Pound. Um, very lovely shots, but yeah. also much, I much more besides... Mm. Um, that uh, that Shay has contributed to, uh, latterly, to the Standing with Stones journey. Yeah, he's a bit of a tour de force, isn't he? Shay? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Um, he's he's got many very interesting interests that um, that, <laughs> that segue and and cross over into you know the cultural aspects that we look at when we're looking at uh, Neolithic and Bronze Age. Um, stuff mm. um so his particular interest in in hunting yes um uh and, and we first you know met shay in in the summer when we went to avebury yeah and he came along bringing some of his uh phenomenal pieces of uh, uh replica uh weaponry yeah. I, I must say he, he brought along a bronze sword which uh, i wanted it <laughs> I so wanted it. Control yourself. Um, yeah, uh, it's just, uh, uh, and I think it's um, there's something so evocative when uh, you know when somebody puts uh, a replica weapon in your hand, so you know what these people uh, would have been using, what they held in their hands. And, you know, um, it 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 puts a different perspective on things altogether, and. Uh, that bronze sword was. I was actually surprised. This might sound stupid because I've wielded swords of various types over the years. I was astonished at the weight of it. Hmm. Um. But um, sorry, I'm going off on one. It's just uh, uh, no. Che is, uh, uh, as you said, you know, he's got a, a lot of. 
diverse interests uh, in prehistory. Well, he's and the owner also. You mentioned the saw, but he's, he's also the owner of um, a replica Neolithic longbow. Yeah. Uh, a replica of uh, one that actually was found be- beside uh, Sweet Track um, mm. down in... Dorset? Dorset, correct. Um, uh, the Dorset levels. Um, so, I mean, that's the point. We're so used to seeing these artefacts in museums. Uh, you know, anything mm. wooden or anything like that is totally decayed usually, uh, and even bronze stuff, you know, it's, it's <laughs> not much mm. left after so many thousand years. Um, but these things, these replicas built absolutely to... Um, I was going to say original specification, but uh, mm. to, to match um, the, the original artifact, <laughs> uh, you know, they take on a life that is quite extraordinary. I think that's what Shay's about, you know. Is, is, yeah. is, Do you know what? While, while we're singing uh, Shay's praises, I um, uh, th- there's something that he said uh, when we were chatting on that day that, re- that really made me chuckle because it's just so cool. Go moment when it's because we've gone through the copper age to get to the bronze age, and we know that there were all these things made out of copper. Why can't we find any copper artifacts? And there's virtually nothing oh, in terms yeah. of copper. Yeah, yeah, is, yeah. Well, no, of course not, because they took all the copper, copper artifacts in the bronze age <laughs> and they melted them all down to make bronze because bronze was so much better. And it's got, of course, they did. You know, of course, they did. Don't. The, the rag and bone men of the time. Yeah. Uh, that, of course, it makes utter sense. You're not going to find many copper things. And it's you know? that kind of insight um, yeah. and, and thinking through of things um, that uh, gains Shay Rudge Stone Head of the Month. Yes. Thank yes. you, Shay, for your cheers. input. We Thank applaud. you for Thank you. <laughs> your stimulating thoughts. And I um, you know, hope there's much more to come as well. Hooray! Hooray! Right. So I'm not going to stop there. Okay. I'm, go- I'm, I'm, go- I'm going to carry on. So even though, even though we're almost done for podcast number 13, uh-huh. but before we are done, um, do we actually have any whimsy this month, apart from that, that we've already... <laughs> <laughs> oh, OK. Now, hold on a second. I've just got to reach over here. I'm just reaching for the grouchy hat. Oh, God, I'm so glad I asked. <laughs> really? You're going well, to end the podcast with the grouchy hat. I thought we can get Well, maybe get we can through. laugh about it in a minute. But, yeah. Um, uh, okay. It kind of is whimsy, but no. oh, um, I was reading an article uh, about the latest research on Britain's oldest circles up in the Scottish Isles and their astronomical alignments. And the, <laughs> the research comes from the University of Adelaide okay. and headed by Dr. Gail Higginbottom. And, uh, I mean, don't get me wrong, the research is solid, but, um, you know, they said a number of good things. Uh, so a that, number of very, very good things. Well, certainly, you know, excellent food for thought. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. In, it's just yeah. that when academics go yeah. off on one, they really go off on one. And, uh, and Dr Higginbottom was quoted as saying, um, around the winter solstice, as the sun was moving further south and was getting darker, and the days were getting shorter. If they couldn't confirm that the sun was starting to move north again towards warmer weather, that would be catastrophic. (laughs) 
and I wondered what possible catastrophe she imagined if the community didn't notice precisely when the weather started to choose, you know, when the sun started to move north. You can imagine Tharg, son of Morg, cursing that he'd planted his spuds three days late, and who knows what disasters might befall them as a consequence. But Smyrn, daughter of Palm... It was cloudy these last 40 days and no one had a clue that the big golden hotness had turned northwards. Disaster and catastrophe will be upon us if we don't sacrifice puppies. (laughs) You're a very bad man. (laughs) I thought thought that was only in Spain, anyway. Uh, You know what I mean? I, I, I might have to cut that. About Spain... Why? Well, <laughs> I, I know we're leaving Europe, you know, but it's a bit early to be. <laughs> that, 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 that was a reference to the sacrifices of puppies. Yes, in the, I know, uh, in the... I know that, but people might have forgotten. I just, okay, <laughs> whatever. No, I'll sort something out. It's okay. Um, uh... <laughs> Just, yeah, like I say, you, you, you're a very bad man. But it's made us laugh. <laughs> it is true. It has made us laugh. And I hope if you're listening, uh, Professor Higginbottom, that you don't, do not take offence at our mirth. No, we, 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 we applauded the rest of your work. Perhaps you, if, in fact, if you are listening, perhaps you could drop us a line and tell us what sort of catastrophe you were talking about. Uh, indeed. Perhaps you'd like to be a guest on our next podcast. Yeah. I don't, I don't think this is a good invitation, actually, Rupert. <laughs> I think we mean well. <laughs> actually, we, we should actually talk about the, the rest of the stuff that Dr Higginbottom said. Uh, it's Dr Higginbottom, not Professor Higginbottom. Dr Higginbottom said, because there's lots of good stuff. There's lots of good stuff. Uh, I, I, will, um, I, I will do her the... Um, uh, the justice of uh, putting the link to her yeah. uh, work on the web page. Yeah. Not uh, that it's for us to judge what is good stuff and bad stuff. We're amateurs. We're not academics. We know nothing. So take whatever <laughs> we say with a pinch of salt, please. Uh, uh, are you finished? Are you finished now? Are you finished with the yeah, grouchy done. hat? I'm done. And on that note, dear listeners, maybe we should say farewell, but not before we've said thank you. Thank you for listening. And um, that if you've enjoyed listening to our podcasts, or this one in particular, uh, please do consider uh, joining us, becoming a supporter of ours on Patreon. you can do so for less than a dollar a month. And mm. uh, monthly contributions from our supporters from Patreon go towards supporting the podcast and the further making of films and uh, other output that we we, we do. So, yeah, uh, the place to go is patreon.com forward slash standing with stones. Have a look. There are various levels you can uh, contribute uh, at and various perks and rewards that you get in return. Indeed there are. And your help is immensely valuable to us. So thanks again. On that note, we will say bye-bye. Say cheerio and see you next month. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.